on today's episode. The name's Bond. Come on, don't make me say the rest. You know my name. Oh, right. So now that we've learned our license to pot, we're going to discuss our first James Bond song on the podcast. You know my name by Chris Cornell from the 2006 film Casino Royale. Let's start the pod. Hello and welcome to The Song Will Go On, the podcast inspired by the songs, inspired by the motion pictures. I'm Paolo Grassini and today The Song Will Go On takes on its first Bond song. Oh my God, what a task. Joining us today, our co-host, she might not give a damn about poker, but you bet she can make a drink as good as James Bond. Of course, you know her name. It's Sofia Matano. What's up, Sophie? I never remember if it's shaken or stirred. I guess me neither. I <laughs> just, you just caught me by surprise there. Yeah. <laughs> Today's guest, if you think Le Chiffre's stainless steel inhaler was impressive, well until you see Gabe's Italian marble D&D table, TV writer Gabe Feinberg. What's up, Gabe? Hello, hello. Italian marble. Uh, you much fancier than real life. <laughs> <laughs> Man, thank you so much, Gabe, for coming on on the pod. We're so excited to have you. Look what you started. The song will go on. Does a James Bond song. Oh, my God. We've been waiting for this day. You got a good 20 plus episodes out of this one, so I'm happy to kick it off. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gabe, before we dive into it, can you tell us a little bit about why you picked this Bond song in particular? I think this was the first Bond song that I heard as like a young man grown up watching all the Bond movies, but I was kind of a kid. And then this one dropped when I was 17 and I mm. just, it just connected with me in a different way, I think. And this is a very different Bond as well. It was like the first Bond that I got to like grow up with in a way, like Pierce Brosnan was around when I was a kid, but I was a teenager mm -hmm. through whatever, whatever it was like a year ago when, uh, Daniel Craig's last Bond movie was. So I felt, you know, I grew up with him a little bit more. Shout out to everyone who grew up with Goldeneye. That was my era. <laughs> Hell yeah. Before we get to the song, we have to talk about, you know, it. its creator. Yes, the movie. Alive. It's alive. It's alive. That's right. Without the movie, we wouldn't have a song. And without Sophie's setup, we wouldn't know where to begin to talk about this film. So Sophie. What do you got for us today? Casino Royale is a 2006 spy film directed by Martin Campbell and written by Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, and Paul Haggis. It is the 21st in the James Bond series from Eon Productions. Casino Royale is based on the 1953 Ian Fleming novel of the same name, and it's its third screen adaptation. Oh, this is a bit delayed. The 21st Bond for the 21st century? Yeah, wow. there you go. Connected the dots. <laughs> you see, that's how slow my brain works. <laughs> <laughs> this marks Daniel Craig's first appearance as the infamous 007 and also stars Ava Green, Mads Mikkelsen, and Judi Dench. In the film, after being promoted to 00 status, MI6 agent James Bond investigates terrorist financier Le Chiffre. Upon discovering his target plans to raise money in a high-stakes buy-in poker game. That's how you that's how you do it, you know? That's yep. how I found <laughs> in my short film, High Stakes Poker Game. <laughs> well, did Bond interrupt your tournament? <laughs> 
Well, because Bond joins the tournament to stop his enemy and take down the terrorist network. But as Bond fights to overcome every obstacle, will he ultimately be taken down by love? Eon Productions gained the right to Casino Royale in 1999 after Sony Pictures Entertainment exchanged them for MGM's rights to Spider-Man. So that's how we got the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man in 2002. That sounds like another poker game where like yeah, trade right? IP was, was <laughs> traded. Like, <laughs> Very high stakes. I, I didn't know that, but I just wonder who came out ahead in that bargain. Yeah, right? Well, I, they were they were like, if hmm. I'm going to put a superhero down on the table, you got to bring something. I was like, fine. Here's a Bond <laughs> film. In 2004, Purvis and Wade began writing a screenplay for another Pierce Brosnan-led James Bond film with the intention of bringing back the darker tone and characterization of Bond from the Fleming novels. I, I don't see Pierce in this version of Bond. I feel like he, he, he exited the ship at the right time. He did, because uh, he did not sign on to star. He fulfilled his four-film contract to die another day, and he said he was hanging up his gun holster and martini glass. Uh, but Martin Campbell signed on to direct. He had done the 95 Bond film GoldenEye, which, Paolo, you mentioned earlier. Yeah, that's my favorite. Yep. It's not my favorite, but it's like my first James Bond film as like, I know what this is. Uh-huh. It's a classic. How much of that is the N64 game? <laughs> 99%. Okay, that's what I <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, we have to find a new Bond. Henry Cavill and Sam Worthington were reportedly considered, but Daniel Craig ultimately landed the role. What if we had a universe where Sam Worthington got it, but then Daniel Craig was an avatar? Can you imagine? Oh like, <laughs> I don't know if that would be better <laughs> for like pure entertainment. We still value get, or worse. He'd be too serious. He'd be too serious. He's like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. The blue world? <laughs> I'm over it. And we still got Henry Cavill as a secret agent in Mission Impossible. So it worked out. That's right. And he yeah. also did uh, The Man from Uncle, right? Like that remake? Oh, yeah. Everyone gets to be a spy ultimately. So. <laughs> um, but Daniel Craig actually had allegedly turned down Bond um, until he was won over by the script. Some critics and fans expressed doubt in Craig's ability to play 007 and called for a boycott. Uh, some internet campaigns were released, such as DanielCraigIsNotBond.com, which is actually a still active website. <laughs> they are they continue to post on there. <laughs> They're still trying to win the fight. <laughs> next up was casting the next Bond girl. So Angelina Jolie, Charlize Theron, and Olivia Wilde were considered, but ultimately Eva Green was chosen to play Vesper Lind. All of those would have been great, to be honest. Charlize would have yeah. been stellar. Charlize, Charlize right? would like, have killed like, She it. hasn't yeah. done it? Like, man, what a, what a miss. She missed out on the Bond and then got Fast and Furious franchise? Eesh. Did she get Fast and Furious? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think so. Oh, I did not. But she got Mad Max, so ultimately she won. Yeah, she totally, won. totally. Casino Royale premiered on November 14th, 2006 in London, and Queen Elizabeth II was in attendance. Uh, according to her biographer, Giles Brandreth, which, of course, that's the name of her biographer, <laughs> uh, the queen really likes Bond films. She particularly enjoys the early ones, though, uh, quote, before they got so loud. So <laughs> that's her review <laughs> on this movie. Um, that's fair. But yeah, I, I can see how that might be your perspective. But um, how about some other critics? Well, they generally lauded the film for the reinvention of the Bond franchise with a more edgy and haunting tone and praised Craig's performance. Some critics were even impressed enough to consider him for an Academy Award nomination. Uh, the film ranked in 616.5 million at the box office uh, off a $150 million budget, becoming the highest grossing James Bond film thus far. 
The film was followed up with Quantum Solace in 2008, Skyfall in 2012, which dethroned Casino Royale as the highest grossing Bond film and continues to top the list now. Next came Spectre in 2015, that's the second highest grossing, and No Time to Die in 2021, and that takes the number three slot. Despite being ultimately relegated to third on the list, Casino Royale still broke other records. Uh, It became the first James Bond film to ever be shown in mainland Chinese cinemas, uh, taking Bond even further across the globe, spreading the 007 legacy. What a 2022 sentence to say. (laughs) Well, this begs the question... Does Bond still have more momentum, or is his Aston Martin running out of gas? Let's talk about it. Let's start. Let's start with Gabe. You know, I want to know what his relationship to this film because he picked the song or he picked the film. I don't mm-hmm. know, but Gabe, what's what's your relationship with Casino Royale? First Bond movie where I was like an adult teenager, so I could like fully grasp what was going on, and it felt like it was the beginning of something new with Bond. You know, like. I was pretty young when Goldeneye first came out. So you're sort of playing catch up mm-hmm. on the franchise. And then Casino Royale was like, oh, here's a chance to start over fresh with Bond, which I, I loved. I uh, would go with my parents to the movie store every week and pick up they had like a James Bond section in the movie store. I don't know why my parents let me watch all of them, but I watched all of them growing <laughs> up. And like without understanding the like some like that he was not like necessarily a role model in a lot of ways, yeah. especially <laughs> by like in a modern context. And so I think Casino Royale was like, oh, I get to start over fresh with a franchise that I love, but it feels like it is a new beginning. I think it's still my favorite Daniel Craig Bond film. Hmm. It feels fresh every time. It feels like tight and contained, like very human. Uh, and I don't know, it still gets Sophie. I am so curious. <laughs> the floor is yours. What is your connection to this film? Well, uh, Gabe, you you finally made it, it happen. When we started this podcast, I knew it was inevitable, and the time has come. I just saw my first Bond movie. What? What have you done, Gabe? <laughs> Welcome. Yeah, Welcome um, to the family. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I feel like for a lot of people my age, Bond is introduced to you by your father or your uncle or some older male figure. And my dad did not do that. He had me watching like West Side Story and Abbott and Costello movies and Seinfeld. Those are my dad's big contributions and terms of like introducing me to pop culture. So James Bond was not one of them. As I mentioned on another pod, uh, I definitely was familiar with Austin Powers, <laughs> but did not ever get the inspiration. You know, I, I knew the the common tropes about James Bond, but Daniel Craig's James Bond is much different than what Austin Powers is referencing. So I guess I was sort of like, oh, OK, so here's here's what everyone's been talking about. So very, very new to this. Well, you did okay starting with Casino Royale, I think. That's a Yeah. It's both a blessing and a curse because it's a Mm -hmm. great place to start, but also it's kind of downhill from there in a lot of ways. (laughs) I see. Yeah, okay. Uh in doing my research for this, I read a lot about comparing this bond to previous bonds. I think if I'm in the mood, I could dig the goofier wackier <laughs> antics that that die another day yeah something like that yeah um but i appreciated this one too and it definitely feels like it came out in 2006 if that makes sense 
I think we'll, we'll get into it later. I want to hear about uh, Paolo's relationship with this one. This whole episode, the theme for me has, it's going to be like apology and like eye-opening experience. Because What did you do? <laughs> well, I saw this movie when it came out and I remember not having fond memories about it. Like I did not revisit it. I, for some reason, did not connect to it. I also, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself with the Bond songs, but we'll save that. But... <laughs> It's just, it was this big question mark that like, why do I have a stronger connection to this? I love Skyfall. Like, love, that was, that's my favorite Bond film. Oh, I really? Think. Hmm. So I love that one. But still, I remember sort of Casino Royale. I remember a couple of set pieces, but overall, I, I remember it kind of like, eh, I saw it this time. No, I, I was completely wrong. It's like one of the best ones. Oh, okay. Um, Roller coaster really- ride there. Yeah, well, I mean, I really enjoyed it. And I was like, what What was wrong with me? Uh, I, I had a lot of fun. It was kind of watching it for the first time, to be honest, apart from the airport set piece and the game, it's per se, the, 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 the game and then the, the ending. Those are the three things I, rem- I remember. But a lot of the details, apart from that, I didn't. So it was, it was a blast. And I enjoy the... I can see what Sophie says about the 2006, because this feels like this was the tone of everything. It's like... We got to do this real and serious. Like the, the, the Dark Knight also isn't there. And just, it was all like, even Man of Steel, like all these, even to the superheroes, like how can we make this real and serious? So it's kind of like, yeah, no surprise that also James Bond was done this way. Yeah, it's felt like they were definitely going for the grittiness. Like I think it was sort of like a post 9-11 moment in culture where everything had to be dark and gritty. and. I feel like they wanted Christopher Nolan to direct this, but they couldn't get him because this felt very Batman Begins to me, <laughs> uh, like the origin story of our new hero. Yeah, a lot yeah. of origins. And uh, I mean, also, I, I was more familiar with Jason Bourne, those films. Yes. And now watching Casino Royale, I can see, oh, yeah, they were like, we got to sprinkle some Bourne in our James Bond to like update it. Yeah, this is also the time when, uh, or well, just maybe a little bit earlier, but 24 was super popular. So we have all of this spy content with like James Bourne and 24. And I feel like maybe Bond had to up the ante to stay relevant in that space. I think also, like if you're coming off of however many years Pierce Brosnan was in the role, you have to counterpoint Mm -hmm. that version of Bond. And like, yes, as much as I love those the Pierce Brosnan movies is that they got increasingly insane. He was like windsurfing yeah. on an avalanche. And it's like the, the only way you can do it is to like reset the whole thing. And it was, I think they mm-hmm. did a good job of like re grounding what James Bond originally was, which was like, he was sort of a spy and it wasn't really, I mean, it was all about, all about sexy locations, but it wasn't like the gadgetry, the like mm-hmm. space lasers and shit. Sorry for <laughs> swearing. The space lasers. You're right. And so bringing it back down to like what feels, I mean, in a Bond way, more like an espionage sort of mm-hmm. movie. And then, yeah, I think, uh, you know, coming off the 90s in general, everything was so heightened that like in get to the 2000s that everyone's trying to hit rewind and do these more grounded, grittier movies. I think you see it in all the superhero right. movies. And- what mostly surprised me about Casino Royale is that it really focuses on the characters and the feelings of Bond and how he feels about being who he is. And it really, like, if you come, if you watch this film and you be like, I want to be James Bond, you kind of really are not paying attention because he clearly does not want to be James Bond. And Mm -hmm. it's sort of, 
the cost about being James Bond and sort of how hard that is. That's a really good point is that like all the previous Bonds is like you kind of wanted to be him. Like he got the nicest suits. Mm-hmm. He slept with all the women. He got all the cool toys. It was awesome. And then you get to this one. He's like, well, this is this guy's not happy. <laughs> I think that one of the scenes that I keep thinking most about the film is so, by the way, if, if you haven't seen this film, we're going to talk about spoilers. I should have said that beginning, but it's a 2006 film. This, you, you had your chance. Yes. It's but, on Netflix. So, Go FYI, watch it. Yeah. <laughs> this is your time to skip to the song. One of the scenes I really keep thinking about is the one in the hotel where he has to get intel from that bad guy's wife. And it's like the classic, like, I'm going to seduce her. But then what happens when she dies and like how that affects him. And I I think that's perhaps one of my favorite Daniel Craig acting, because sometimes I feel like he's too monotone. But in this scene, it works wonder. Like he communicates the turmoil going through sort of his head that like, how responsible is he for that? And is it for like a greater good? And he's the one who has to make those decisions because, yeah, he he. He might have known that that was going to happen, unfortunately, but the greater good, like getting to sort of, I don't know, it's it's not necessarily saving the world, but something more impactful. For, like, it's tough, man. Like, yeah, who who wants to make those decisions? And mm-hmm. I thought that was like really good. That's not the kind of, again, coming from the golden eye, that's not the kind of bond that I was used to. And it's nice, too, because you, you see that again at the end of the movie, spoilers, when vesper's dead and his reaction to her death is very different and m is like you really don't trust anybody do you and and he's just like he becomes more of the bond that we know where he's like people are much more disposable um Mm -hmm. and it's nice to see that like evolution in a character who has been kind of um static for so long it's tough to be a lady in this movie isn't it because it is yeah you're gonna die a pretty horrible death unless you're judy dench one of the things I also think has aged well, and this is one of my favorite things about action movies, perhaps the most surprising thing about this movie for me was the plot, the actual plot. He's not trying to save the world from a satellite that's just gone haywire and it's aiming New York or Paris. He's not going like to Mars or something. He's basically, all he has to do is prevent someone to get money so that he becomes a double agent. That's it. That's it. There's... And I, that's what I love about my action movies is the simplicity. Like Die Hard 1, it's just a building. Yeah. Die Hard 5, it's the United States of the world is going to go down. And just just get a bomb on a bus, 55 miles per hour. That's it. <laughs> Make it simple. And I think that's a, a really good thing that this uh, Bond has. It's just like a simple plot. Yeah, man. Like stopping this guy from getting money. Like that's hard. Like I, I can see the stakes in that. I don't need save the world yeah the hallmark of all good modern bond movies is like a plot you could follow like goldeneye did that too goldeneye had a plot that you could follow and it made sense i mean it was a little bit heightened but it was still grounded like sky falls the same way it's like it's all understandable there's previous bond movies where it's like there there's a spaceship out there that eats other spaceships and it's hard (laughs) to connect to that yeah I mean, you can clearly see Austin Powers were sort of like how oh, you yeah. take inspiration because it, it is kind of sometimes it really gets into that sort of like hold the world ransom kind of thing. Sharks with laser beams attached to their heads. You know, Sophie, you mentioned 2006, how knowing this movie feels from yeah. that age. Mm-hmm. There's one long, very long sequence that t- screamed to me that time. The parkour opening. Yeah. <laughs> 
that was the one thing like has not aged well. Like this was, I guess, a thing back then. But now I see it. All I can think about is like Michael Scott in the office. Like, yeah. Parkour. Yeah. Parkour. <laughs> like that's oh, all I can think know, about watching that sequence. It's good. Parkour. This is parkour, internet sensation of 2004, and it was in one of the Bond films. It's pretty impressive. The goal is to get from point A to point B as creatively as possible. So technically, they are doing parkour as long as point A is delusion and point B is the hospital. It's interesting you say that because I think I I relate this movie as basically like its big public debut for parkour onto the onto the scene. Like this is when everyone started to understand what it was. I think there's like a split between it was like people who saw it from the office and people who saw it in Casino yeah. Royale. And I got it from Casino Royale, so I definitely thought it was like cooler than the people who saw it from the office. <laughs> I definitely saw it from the office. There's a scene that really stood out to me in this movie, and I'd like to get both of your takes on it because you're more seasoned in. <laughs> was in it James was Bond. it the one that he was driving like a rental Ford? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it's the what might be the most bizarre torture scene I think I've ever seen. Oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. So I was saving it for what the fuck, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> so like, is is this a real torture method? <laughs> Like usually in movies when there are torture scenes, I'm covering my eyes, I'm plug- plugging my ears. I hate to watch it. And in this one, I was just like trying to figure out what this was. <laughs> I remember watching this in the theater and kind of leaning to my friend and being like, they're hitting his balls, right? Is, yeah. that, is that what's happening? <laughs> like, I don't quite get it, but is that yeah. what's happening? Like, so, how do, like, why is this the first time I'm like, did this guy just invented this technique or is this like some yeah. famous thing? I don't know. So for the folks at home who might need a refresher, uh, Mads Mikkelsen cuts the bottom out of a chair. James Bond is sitting in it naked and he's whipping him from underneath, I guess, hitting him in the balls. <laughs> um, and I, I understand how like for some Bond fans, like this might be really psychologically intense because like Bond is... Well, that and Bond is like the prime example of a man. And now his like manhood in quotes is being directly attacked. So I was like, is this like visceral for some people? I I was just trying to figure out like it's his balls, right? Like it's his balls. Yeah, definitely his balls. Uh, I loved it. Yeah, you loved it. I no, I love this game. Yeah, because most you know, it's like it's become a trope now of spy of spy movies. And you see it in Austin Powers of the like overly elaborate death plan where they just yeah don't kill him when they get the chance. And this felt like such a good answer to that of like the Matt <laughs> Mickelson even says it out loud. He's like, I don't know why people do these crazy harebrained torture scenes. Just hit a guy in the balls enough and he'll talk. <laughs> and I was like, it's such a great way to strip down on the like genre trope. And and also you get this great moment of Daniel Craig like laughing at him. And it's just like it's another nice yeah. character moment in a way as as absurd as it kind of is in its own way. I thought it worked really well. No, I like it, too. I'm with you. I've always had myself like, why do you have to turn up the heat in the room? Just hit him in the balls constantly. He'll talk. Well, <laughs> not Daniel Craig's bond. He'll laugh in the face of being hit in the balls. 
Yeah. yeah, and that makes um, him a then, real man. Yeah, he's a true American hero. Well, he's not American. <laughs> um, okay, but then, but then he goes to that f- recovery facility. Oh, that was my favorite. So I, was, I was waiting to say that. Yeah, and I'm he's, like, tell us how his balls are. You're like, 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 I need a follow up. Yeah. Was he also stabbed and we didn't see it? He's just like, I have to stay here a month to recover for it. For yeah, and then Vesper is like mad hitting on him. And I was like, does it still work? Like, I, <laughs> Vesper, these, this is the information you have to get. Yes, it's Was bizarre. that too much for you guys? No, <laughs> okay. it, I assumed, I wrote it off as the cumulative effect of like the poison, the the car flipping over and definitely and the, the poison. Yeah. I just wanted a follow up on the ball. You balls. just wanted the doctor like, to like tell doctor him that his come. prognosis was good. Yes. I would love it if we had a, a, a male action hero I just who like lost his balls. I just thought of something. To wait. Okay. <laughs> what if going back to the torture scene? Okay. Can you imagine like an executive giving notes like, do you think we need an insert of his balls getting hit so people... <laughs> understand what's going on <laughs> and then them shooting that and then there's a cut somewhere of like the whipping and then insert close up some balls and like something getting hit you know i don't i don't <laughs> think they got the chance because actually i think the director had to tell mads mickelson and daniel craig to like tone it down because they went like <laughs> really far with it because they had both come from like indie movies and he was like it's a it's a bond movie can we like dial it back just a a little bit too much realism for bond yeah exactly maybe you guys can also explain this other scene to me if we can move on from the balls why did vesper have to drown oh this yeah you're getting into all the wts yeah i think she's just like oh time time to drown she was like no let me stay here i belong here it doesn't make much like, sense. It they doesn't. try to I explain they, it. They try yeah. to have Judy Dench explain it at the end. And it's not I'm not didn't convinced. Work. Uh, you know, I think it's more of the like in order for James Bond, like the only way James Bond can have consequences for his actions is that women have to die. That's the only thing that matters in the James Apparently. Bond universe. And so I think it's just like plot that it happened, not story logic or emotional logic. Well, coming at it from Vesper's point of view, like, how did she know? That she was going to get trapped in like a water elevator. Like that that doesn't seem like something that you could plan ahead for. So she saw her opportunity and she took it. Well, she was in <laughs> Venice. If it's going to happen, it is in Venice. She was like, this there's enough water that's, in that's here where it is. for me to have some kind of water-based death. Yeah. I'll find a way. <laughs> no, no, but real talk, I feel like that... Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that is the only wrinkle that keeps it for being five-star for me film. That piece of the puzzle doesn't fit as great. It's the only thing like, I wish that they wouldn't have, um, what, what's the saying? Stuck the landing there. Yeah, I, I agree. Because also the movie kind of came to a screeching halt when it's like, we've we solved the thing. No money for bad guys. Now we can just be in love. And like, clearly I know that there's like 20 or 30 minutes left of movie. So someone... You know, I, I can put the pieces together. Yeah, that always happens. Like, uh, yeah, someone. He, yeah, something else is going to happen. And yeah. there's only two people left in the movie. So, <laughs> yeah, it felt. Yeah, so I think I kind of saw it coming, but I didn't. I, but I didn't because the logic wasn't entirely there. Yeah, it felt a little either felt rushed or that there weren't enough like little breadcrumbs along the way to make that feel satisfying. 
to end it on a positive note, because I really did enjoy this film. I'm so glad that I got reconnected to it because like probably top five James Bond film for me. Yeah. Um, maybe top three. I don't know. I really liked it. It was really good. Some of the sequence, like I said, the airport sequence, personally for me, among my favorite James Bond sequences. So yeah, this is this is great. And you know, it didn't put me off from watching other Bond movies. Well, that was so, the one I was going to ask you. Yeah. Like, like no, I, I'm in. James I'll, I'll Bond watch will another. return, Sophie? Will James Bond return? <laughs> I think so. I don't think anyone's favorite is Quantum of Solace, and that's the one that would come up next. Um, but I think I can be patient for Skyfall and get through it. Sophie, you'll find that there's also like two categories in your brain for James Bond of like, is this a good movie mm-hmm. like Casino Royale or Skyfall? Or is this like a fun historical piece like uh, <laughs> You Only Live Twice from the 60s with Sean Connery? Like they yep. occupy they occupy different spaces and you hold them to different standards and they both can be like fun. I can compartmentalize. But, I, yes. Yep. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break and I'm going to change into one of my 15 tuxedo suits because, I mean, that guy knows how to pack. He brought like five change in that poker game. But when we come back, we're going to take the adrenaline up a notch as we dive into You Know My Name by Chris Cornell from Casino Royale. Patreon. Every now and then we need a little support. To help make the podcast go on. Patreon, support us. And then return we'll give you all we got. And we need you now, tonight. <laughs> Seriously, though, head over to Patreon and support us. We have some really cool perks, exclusive content, and your support will help us grow so we can continue making the show. And then maybe we could afford some singing lessons. Or not sing at all, just talk about the people who sing. Check us out at The Song Will Go On on Patreon. You know my- We are back with the song will go on and now the pop will go on as well. Our main attraction today. It's not your casual Bond song. Nuh-uh. It's Chris Cornell's You Know My Name from Casino Royale. We have a lot to cover. So Sophie, what can you tell us about You Know My Name? You Know My Name is a song for Casino Royale performed by Chris Cornell and written by Cornell and the film's soundtrack composer David Arnold. The song acts as a replacement theme for the Bond character instead of the classic Bond theme. Chris Cornell was an American singer and musician best known for his contributions to bands Soundgarden. Black hole sun, won't you come? Wash away the rain. And Audio Slave. Yeah. But Franz also enjoyed his solo work as well. Sony Pictures president of music invited Chris Cornell to write a song for Casino Royale that would, quote, reflect the dramatic new direction of James Bond. Cornell initially assumed that since he was American that this offer would be for a secondary song instead of the main theme. He almost turned down the offer because he hadn't enjoyed some of the recent Bond films, uh, 
sorry, Pierce Brosnan, uh, but he was intrigued by Daniel Craig's casting. He traveled to Prague to observe the filming, where he met composer David Arnold, who suggested that they write a song that would mimic that's, the film score. That's how they got him. Like, just come to Prague. Man. Yeah, just, just come to yeah. Prague. Just visit the set. Free come trip on, to man. Prague. Just, yeah. Come on. You want to take that Austin Martin for a spin? Come yeah. on, man. Just, you know, just write the song. Okay, let's talk a little bit about David Arnold. So David Arnold has scored five Bond films, uh, Independence Day, which won him a Grammy, Stargate, and Godzilla. He actually hasn't scored a film since 2012, as uh, scoring for television has kept him pretty busy. He won an Emmy for his work on Sherlock and recently scored Good Omens and the 2020 Dracula miniseries. Cornell and Arnold brainstormed separately on the song. Cornell was ultimately able to write lyrics for this Bond, particularly because this character had an edgier tone and more emotional depth. When they came back together to share ideas, they realized how similar their interpretations were. Uh, Arnold even commented, it was almost like we wrote two parts of the same song. Cornell completed the lyrics and some of Arnold's ideas included the song's title, the heavy introduction, and using pieces of the deconstructed Bond theme in the composition. The result is an up-tempo and more aggressive sounding theme for the new 007. So three versions exist of this song. The main version, which was the single release, the pop mix, which also appeared in the music video and on Cornell's album, Harry On. Uh, for this reason, it's also called the album version. And the film version, which is the most orchestral version and is obviously featured in the film's dynamic uh, animated opening title. That's too many versions. I yeah, that's kind of a Just lot go of with versions. two. Just go with two with me. Yeah. Um, interestingly, the movie version has not been commercially released. So this is the first Bond theme to not be included on its film soundtrack album. You Know My Name was released on November 13th, 2006, following a leak of the song that September. It peaked at number 79 on the Billboard Hot 100, number 64 on the Billboard Pop 100 chart, and number 7 on the UK Singles chart. Critics thought the song fit the Dark Bond reboot well, uh, some going so far as to claim it was the best Bond song in years, and put it on a list of Oscar snubs. The song also received a first round nomination in the Best Original Song category for the Academy Awards, but it didn't qualify uh, with the final nominees. It was, however, nominated for a Grammy for Best Song Written for a Motion Picture, Television, or Other Visual Media, and it won a Satellite Award for Best Original Song and the World Soundtrack Award for Best Original Song Written Directly for a Film. This song is considered the most successful song from Chris Cornell's solo work. Um, Cornell unfortunately passed in 2017, but we continue to enjoy his artistry through posthumous releases, and I'm so glad he left his mark on the illustrious tradition of Bond songs. Wow, thanks, Sophie. That was... Amazing. We have so much to cover. So, Gabe, I want to start with you, the guy who picked the, the, the film and the song. Uh, talk to me about the song. What is the connection to this song? I feel like this is the first Bond movie that, like, stuck out to me as, like, its own thing. Like, I, I'm sure I had heard, like, Live and Let Die and of, mm -hmm. like, the yeah. arguably the biggest Bond film, ev uh, Bond film song ever. But it was one that stuck out to me as so like singular in a way. It sounded so different than any other Bond song I had heard mm -hmm. because it's just so like loud and abrasive that I when you guys asked me about coming on here I was and I was thinking about what movies I like to watch. And I was like, this song, I could still hear it in my head, even if I haven't mm -hmm. seen the movie in two years. Um, Love it. And I, right. I don't feel that way about, I think, any other Bond movie except for maybe Skyfall. Well, so you didn't see the film, but were you aware of the song? Like, because Bond songs are like an institution. Right. And I know that you are aware of some. 
I knew about it when it came out, but I can't say that it was something that I listened to. And now after seeing the movie, Gabe touched on this, but like this song is so connected to the movie in my mind now that it's almost hard to think of it outside of the movie. Like Mm. when I hear it, I can see those opening titles that the animated kind of like Mad Men style opening. Is that a negative thing or a positive thing? Not necessarily, but like, for example, Live and Let Die. I don't need to think of James Bond to enjoy that song. But if I listen to You Know My Name, I'm going to think about James Bond. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I might not be the biggest James Bond fan film, but the songs, oh my God, I love them. I love them all. And I do listen mm-hmm. to them and I geek about which is my top five, my top three, which I like more and blah, 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 or like an underrated one. Yeah. Um, I even wrote something about James Bond songs when Skyfall came out from like my local like new paper mm. in Puerto Rico. I love them. I love how I don't think of any... There's no other movies that I can think of where the song has its own like press release. Every new Bond movie, it's like a huge announcement. Who's going to do the song? And it's like it's its own news event. And I think that's so cool. Yeah. The only thing you can compare it would be to Star Wars, which like who's going to do the music for a new Star Wars? And like people speculate, but not even that, because this this is the version of pop culture. Like Star Wars, Mm -hmm. maybe or on the like the film music fan and, and the Star Wars fan. But this is like my mom would be like, oh, the new Bond song, you know, like everyone. This is a thing. It's always like the biggest artist you can imagine of, of the year, basically. You know, it was I mean, not not always, but Chris Cornell is a pretty big deal. You like rec- the most recent one was Billie Eilish <laughs> and like obviously you had Adele and it was like Sam Smith was recently. It's like it's crazy. It's a like a mega yeah. event every time. So following my theme, my personal theme for this episode of eye-opening experience and apology, I would, I had ranked this Bond song among the lowest because not, well, not the lowest, not in my, it wouldn't have made my top 10, I think. Hmm. It's because I I guess I just, I don't know what happened with Casino Royale and everything related to Casino Royale, it didn't register with me that hard at that time. And now I I, I really enjoy the song. This is a revelation in so many different levels, not just the Bond song, but Chris Cornell and his music, mm-hmm. his body of work, everything. Uh, like researching for this episode has been one of my favorite, but I, I'll stop it there. I want to keep, uh, keep the conversation going. Before you realize the error of your ways, what were your top three Bond songs? <laughs> I can't. I, I well, I have a clip of later of a couple that I really love, but I adore Skyfall. Uh, yeah, I really yeah. love that one. I think I'm. Uh, so you were saying about Live and Let Die. I have a controversial opinion about Live and Let Die. I think it's a amazing song. I, 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 it's not my favorite Bond song. Like it doesn't feel Bond. It feels like Paul McCartney. Right. There's a half half of that song feels like a James Bond song, and then. Half of it becomes like, this is Paul McCartney doing his thing versus what I love about James Bond. I love more like the classic sort of like, this is the James Bond DNA, the Goldfinger. Um, I even like Tina Turner's Golden Eye, uh, like Sky, like that kind of like, I, I guess women's, it doesn't have to be women because Tom Jones Thunderballs was really good, but that sort of like big band kind of orchestra 
classy DNA James Bond. That's what I like. Well, um, just because you mentioned both of them, Cornell's biggest influences for Bond songs were Thunderball by Tom Jones uh, from the 1965 movie of the same name and Live and Let Die by Paul McCartney from the 1973 movie of the same name. So I'm going to play a couple clips of these and I'm curious to see if there are any moments that you can point to that feel like he drew inspiration from them. So this is Thunderball. Okay, and here's Live and Let Die. Well, I can see Live and Let Die is clear the inspiration. It's one of the few ones that it's like, it feels like an action song. It's a fast pace. It's more yeah. tempo. It's not like a ballad. Mm-hmm. Well, it kind of does it. It does both, right? Like we have a little bit of the ballady live and let die. And then and then we get those up temp that up tempo moment where yeah, we really so, ramp up the action. So if you're saying I want to do a Bond song that rocks out, yeah. you clearly start pointing at live and let die and sort of see what, what they did successfully. Yeah. The Tom Jones part, maybe it's sort of like that male singer sort of bring down the house like vocal performance aspect of it like i'm just gonna blow you away with my chops kind of thing Hmm, yeah that's what i felt interestingly i almost feel like thunderball is the anti you know my name because that song is all about how awesome james bond is and how great it is to be him. <laughs> and I feel like, as we've discussed with yeah. Casino Royale and You Know My Name, we're kind of proving like, no, it's not that great. This is going to be hard and really dangerous and difficult. And we're, we have a much more like sensitive and vulnerable James Bond. Uh, so we're not getting the like, oh, he, he fights and he's so amazing. It, it's just a completely different take on Bond. So I feel like that like really illustrates the difference with what Casino Royale was trying to do with this bond. So Sophie, you mentioned like three versions of this. I'm curious to, to see what they are. Okay. So yeah, there are three versions of this song and I think that we can do some comparisons because they definitely are all the same song, but they have a different feel to them. So uh, here's right around the beginning when Chris Cornell starts to, to chime in with his vocals. So the first one is from the movie. hear the strings yeah you can definitely hear the strings there and now this is the carry on version the one from cornell's album if you take life, do you know what you yeah. that one had the uh, acoustic i could hear acoustic the horns guitar, slow yeah. but also the the hi-hat is missing uh-huh they're not doing that yeah, the strings were a gone, more pop or kind like. of rock sound yes yeah. they were and then this is the single version That one's called the rock version. Um, and mean, it, it clearly, also, yeah. yeah. Um, it also has a different vocal take than the other two. I was going to say um, his voice and, sounded different. Yeah. yeah, it was actually really hard to track down. So that just might be like a crappy MP3 that I found somewhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, this version is is buried because um, there are some lyrical differences with that one, too. In this single version, he says, I've seen diamonds cut through harder men. But in the other two versions, it's changed to I've seen this diamond cut through harder men. 
I'm not sure what the implication of that is, but I think it's an interesting distinction. We can get into a discussion about his manhood again. Ah, there you go. (laughs) Uh, And then the final, are you willing to die? In the movie version and carry on version is changed to, are you ready to die? Um, Which kind of ups the ante and makes the danger much more direct. Uh, So that was missing in this version. One thing that I did read is the reason that the song wasn't, and the soundtrack apparently was because Chris Cornell was really attached to the song and it felt like it was it was his and he wanted to include it in his album I, rather than yeah. have it in the soundtrack. I read that as well. And I don't mean to argue with uh, Mr. Cornell, but this seems like such a Bond song. Like, I, I don't think he would have written this song if not for Bond, if not for the tradition of Bond songs. And it just feels so connected to Casino Royale that it yeah. seems kind of strange to have it on his that might be solo true. album. That might be true, but I also love someone just saying, like, I really love this and I want it to include it in my album. Like, I really love what we did, and you know? Um, so I kind of like that. But you mentioned about how this song feels so connected to the movie. I think we should dig deeper into that. Let's just start with, like, the beginning, which is pretty fucking kick ass uh the opening of this song i love it if you need to communicate like action movie like this is how you do it with this opening and it literally sounds like he it sounds like he's kicking down a wall or something mm-hmm. here let's play that beginning like is that sound effects of walls just going down <laughs> It's probably worth mentioning that we're talking about the movie version now. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. I love that intro because it immediately tells you you're mm-hmm. in like a new era, a kick-ass era of Bond. And then it very quickly shifts back to something that feels like an old school Bond song. So you get both like a taste of the future and some like reassurance from the past um, of like what to expect. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this is, but this is where I get really impressed with this song. It's like, it does the new, communicates new, different, but still using sort of the DNA or something that feels familiar. And I mean, I don't know if this is where they got this or if it's tied musically, I don't know, but it reminds me of this part of of the Bond theme. Like the same horn, those... (laughs) It's like, but instead of horn, instead of that, we just do it with, with rock, but it's like the same feeling in a sense. So it's something familiar, but something super new, which man, yeah, absolutely. Like props to that. They're really so impressive. Yeah. Something that kind of like really blew my mind about, and this is what I love about putting a spotlight on songs and kind of like deep diving and learning more about them is Sophie mentioned this in the setup, but apparently like the Bond theme was disconstructed in a way that it fits. And I was thinking, well, what is the part of this song that screams the most bond to me and it's the chorus the chorus is where i'm like this is familiar territory this is a bond song so that's an instrumental version of it without the vocals and then apparently the way why that sounds familiar is the chord progression is the same as the James Bond thing, except they just ca- cut out the fourth progression. So you mm. get, I'm just going to play it again. You get three chord progressions and it sounds like it, like it's going up. So you get two and three, but doesn't have the fourth one. It just stays on three. And then the Bond theme has all oh, four. So... 
two, three, four. Four. Yeah. That's the one they, they cut so it doesn't go back. They just they just do the first three. That's cool. From a thematic point uh, standpoint, it's sort of like he's not fully bond yet. Like he just got his double O status and he's becoming you know, the, the amazing 007, but we're dealing with kind of a more green bond who's going to make some mistakes. I love that yeah, theory. You gotta that kill some more people to get yeah. that fourth yeah. cord. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you said that that was the part that feels the most like bond to you. For me, it's actually that like that first verse where it's like you come right after that high energy intro and then it goes right into the verse and it feels like this slower, mm. more ballad, almost like narrative uh, and it, at least with the, the visualization from when you're watching the movie with the credits is like, I was like, oh, I feel like I've been transported back 30 years and yeah. I don't know if I like yeah. it or not. And then the chorus hits and you're like, okay, now I'm, now I'm excited again. <laughs> yeah. It's such a bombastic chorus. One of the things that I was going to say is that the cool thing about having David Arno co-write the song with Cornell is that. He also uses this theme and integrates it in the score of the film, which is really cool when that pops up in the film. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, yeah, let's go. Yeah, I love when that happens. Yeah, I always get bummed out when you have yeah. these awesome, you know, Bond songs and it's kind of a one-off. I, I love how they can integrate it into the mm -hmm. actual movie. It feels like it's much more connected. Also, David Arnold's a beast. Can we just give like one quick shout out? Like, he's, <laughs> Gabe, you asked me what are my top three Bond songs and I dodged the question, but it was for this because he's actually written one of my other favorites. Mm. He's written three Bond songs. One, this one, uh, You Know My Name, which we're talking about. Another one he wrote was The Quantum of Solace, which was, he co-wrote it with uh, Jack White and Alicia Keys perform it. And then one of my favorites, The World Is Not Enough by Garbage. I absolutely mm. love, yeah. love this Bond song. The world is not I'm just going to play also Another Way to Die, which I think Sounds more like the Casino Royale tone also, too. Not not my personal I favorite. think I forgot the movie, so I forgot the song. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm just Bond songs. They're, they're the fucking best. Well, uh, if you noticed about You Know My Name, the title is not the same as the movie. So, oh yeah, base yeah. by my tabulation, there are twenty five Bond songs, uh, twenty twenty six if you count the the main the classic main theme, uh, and most of them share a title with the film. Six do not. So one is you know my name. Um, another one is the one Paolo just mentioned. Another way to die. That's from Qu Quantum of Solace. Quantum of Solace would be a hard song title. <laughs> yeah, that's a stretch. <laughs> Um, what are you going to call yeah. Quantum of Solace? <laughs> yeah. um, another one is All Time High by Rita Coolidge. That's from Octopussy. I love I, that song. That's, so that's, that's another rough one to work into a song. Big missed opportunity. Oh, well, actually, there's a, there's a quote by Chris Cornell. Two interviews, two separate interviews. He was like, I would have loved to, like, that's a missed opportunity. I would have loved to write a song named Octopussy. Absolutely. So. I agree. Uh, another one is Writings on the Wall by Sam Smith for Spectre. 
And then we also have a, a deep cut that I actually had to look up, uh, but maybe you two are more familiar with it than I am. We Have All the Time in the World by Louis Armstrong. That's from On Her Majesty's Secret Service. That was like the second Bond movie, so maybe they hadn't cemented the format yet. Right, right, yeah. Uh, and then the the last one is the Carly Simon one, which I really love. Nobody does it better from The Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah. God, yeah, they're so but, good. You're, you just asked me like the top three and I was trying to make it in my mind, <laughs> but like also you only live twice is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. And that's not even the ones that Sophie mentioned. Go, that's just like, I love this. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about how the song fits with the film and telling you sort of we're different. We're doing things different. Mm-hmm. This is a new bond. We're using a male voice at this point was a very different switch i think since the 80s they had not used a male voice good point yeah Hmm. one thing that i found interesting that the film has a lot of themes about masculinity i I like the portrayal of masculinity in this film i should say it it, it tackles it in a like a smart sophisticated way and then i think about cornell is such a great fit for that because he has this powerhouse of a voice like this this lion of a voice yeah but he also has like this sophisticated element to him. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Chris Cornell was exactly like the biggest name at the time. I, and I it, don't think I don't, so. Right. Not, not, not in like a Billie Eilish, well, Adele, yeah, that's what I'm Paul gonna, McCartney, those kinds of things. Madonna. That's Yeah, exactly what I'm going to say. Yeah, right. Yes, yeah. Uh, Adele was not only just the biggest name in music at the time, but also was a very appropriate choice uh, for a Bond movie. And that song just like, blows me out of the water even without seeing the movie i'm like this is probably a great movie if this song came from it it just seems like now we're just chasing stars a little bit instead of like finding the exact right person to get into this character and this movie i think i see where you're going with it so i think i interpreted what you're saying as chris cornell was a story decision yes i think so and that's what's really cool about it like he he fits well on a story level also Look, we're talking about Crisco now. Let's give a little bit of example of his vocal performance here. This yeah. Fucking rocks. The range. There's yeah. not a lot of male this- vocalists these days who sound like that. And man, I have to confess, Chris Cornell, he's not in my radar as much as I want to. And this episode just made me sort of, I'm just, my jaw is on the floor with sort of been listening to like his body of work and mm-hmm. some stuff that I knew about. I mostly knew about him about through Audio Slave, mm-hmm. which is a group that I kind of forget it exists. But when I remember, I think it's the best group in the fucking world. <laughs> and I'm like, how can it's awesome? This is the best thing I've ever heard. Here's Chris Cornell and Audio Sleeve. That's all I gotta say. Holy shit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that ass. sounds like fucking Stranger Things dragon come out of, yeah. out of his mouth with fire and takes over the whole city. Yeah. Like that's what it sounds like. It's, I mean, it's crazy. I, like, I, like I never counted myself as like a massive, like audio slave or Soundgarden fan, but then you, you, you go through just like the list of their songs and you're like, every single one of these songs is awesome. And you know them all too. Cause they get so much radio play. They get used in movies all the time. 
And it's just like, I, I you realize how familiar you are with the body of work, even if you haven't like bought their albums and sat down with them. Like, and he's such an iconic voice. And then an audio slave has like, you know, is half rage against the machine. And it's just incredible. So the clip I played was from the song Cochise. I hope I pronounced it correctly. I, I don't know. That's not even my favorite audio slave song. This is my favorite audio slave song. I don't even listen to this kind of music normally. And it just, but it, it brings out something in me. I mean, like I said, I kind of forget about this band. And when I hear it, I'm like, this is the best, this is the best band in the world. Like, why am I not listening to this on a, every single day? And <laughs> honestly, I think this episode might be the difference. Like I'm, I'm on Discogs trying to find the outer slave. I need it. Normally on the podcast, we take some time to talk about the music video of the song, but to be honest, I feel like this one was a little bit phoned in. It, it's kind of hard to find. And it's really just sort of him performing intercut with kind of random scenes of the movie. It didn't feel that special to me. Fun fact, this got the MTV making the video treatment in 2006. Oh. The video premiered on MTV's making the video makes our second appearance on the pod. You can tell they're all so bored. <laughs> 10 minutes into the episode, Chris Cornell just starts talking about like MP3s and digital songs and pirating. Like we're not even talking about Bong anymore. Like there's nothing <laughs> to talk about because the director explains the plot of the music video. He's like, yeah, they wanted to make like a music video, but we all agree that it's like really hard to get like a, a rock star and like cutting to footage of films and not make it look bad <laughs> so then i just decided what if he was just like traveling between his gigs and he's like a spy too he's like trying to do his best <laughs> to not sound like he also hates his plot like yeah. i'm just getting paid i wonder if that's partly because bond movies like the song is so also tied to the like the intro t sequence of every you know every bond song yes has yeah, its that title is the music sequence video. and that's exactly. the real music video because sure. the Casino Royale title sequence is awesome. But since Chris Cornell like really insisted on putting this on his album, I would have liked a non-Bond interpretation sure. so that he could, you know, have really stake his claim on it. Like, but like Brian I, Adams did with uh, Robin Hood one. He, he like exactly erased that, <laughs> that video from the Internet and just has him concert performing over the song <laughs> like this is my song now. Yeah, right. I have a trivia what do you think was the last song to get the MTV making the video treatment? To be honest, it's news to me that they don't still do it. <laughs> yes, they stopped. Yeah, they don't do music videos on They stopped on at MTV. 2010. 2010? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fair. Fair. <laughs> they do Making the Baby, Sweet 16 or... Uh, yeah. what's it <laughs> Teen Mom. Teen Mom, yeah. <laughs> making the Baby is a much better name for yeah. the show, though. <laughs> I love that. It was in 2010. It was Katy Perry's California Girls. Oh, what a video. It's a great what, video. What a way to go out. I went and saw the whole list of making a video of like every season, every song they made, everything they cover. Here's a couple of takeaways from my observation. One, Britney Spears. <laughs> Pepper. Pepper. Here's a couple of takeaways from my observations of the making the video seasons. Britney Spears is the queen of this. Literally all oh. of her videos were feature, like almost all of the Britney Spears. So she rules this. Here's the weirdest one I found. Triumph the insult comic dog got a making the video treatment for his song, I Keep. <laughs> and 
Okay. It's a very interesting watch. Did it's they did they interview Triumph? He's on the whole video. It's, yeah. it's basically yeah. him just like auditioning dogs and be like, oh, let me see that ass. Oh, yeah. So it's just another comedy bit. Yeah. Just another bit. I, the whole thing, I can't tell if it's like the worst making the video or the best. <laughs> on this episode of Making the Video, Triumph the Insult Dog Kids Around. I'd whine too if I look like that. Barks up the wrong tree. Get out of my face, Peach. Just voice and shoot, Peach. <laughs> and shows off doggy style. This is how Mariah Carey got started. I kid, I kid. Plus the world premiere of I Kid. I'm sorry, I just realized our executive producer, Pepper, looks like Triumph, the insult comic dog. I was shocked. Oh, yeah, a little Shut bit. Up. Get him a little cigar. You want to hear even more weird thing? Fred Armisen co-directs the music video of Triumph the Insult Comic Talks. He's part of making the video. You know what? That tracks. Uh, Who else would would direct it? <laughs> okay, let's let's bring it let's bring it back to Chris Cornell. So he actually has a quite the body of work with soundtracks. Um, he has a song in singles. Great expectations. Every, everyone has a song in singles. Though, well, true. From the, <laughs> yeah. uh, he's also in MI2. Really? Yeah. Uh, Machine Gun Preacher and Soundgarden uh, came back together. They reunited in 2010 for Avengers. Really? Oh, I forget about this, but I what know. What song it, yeah. was that? Well, uh, you're going to find out soon. <laughs> it's been so long since I've watched the Avengers. So. Uh, and then he took sort of like a serious turn and he has a song in 12 Years a Slave and also The Promise. Whoa. Uh, that was uh, the last song that came out before his death in 2017. Let's have a listen. Man, that's uh-huh. Soundgarden in single. Guess that's MI2. This is from the Avengers, I recognize it. Answerable question. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, let's start. Seven seconds in heaven. What seven seconds from the song gives you goosebump? Here is Gabe. Yeah. It feels like a cop out, but that's the first time the chorus hits. It's not. It's the I right mean, answer, Gabe. It's the right answer. It it's is. not a cop out. Yeah. It's just something about it. It's like, yeah, it just injects so much energy. Yes. And it also feels like very thematic. Like it, the, the verse before it is like a little abstract and then it's like arm yourself. Cause no one else is coming to get you. You're James Bond. It's time to go kick some ass. <laughs> so yeah, play it. Oh, beginning. Yeah, I, I, Paolo, I feel like I stole you your regular thing. move, yeah, which is picking thing, the very just, first yeah. seven seconds. But yeah, I mean, they're just killer. It's the blood pumping. They, they really are. I was. Exactly. Yeah. I almost picked that. I think I 
I'm more on the Gabe side, and I picked the last chorus. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Because here we get Cornell sort of like taking it up a notch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just love his performance. That's where he's like going all That was out. a close second for me because he gets <sighs> to the end and he yeah. just starts... We could play more, sorry. Seven seconds. Yeah, he just starts right. screaming at the end of the song and it's just... It's longer than seven seconds, but it is... It's awesome. What's your favorite lyric? Gabe, let's start with you. Uh, you can't deny the prize. It may never fulfill you. And it felt like such a great metaphor for Bond of Ooh. like... This guy's... Especially yeah. in this movie, he's chasing yeah. all these things... And it's not going to, he's going to continue to be this like broken murder machine of a man. Shit. Yeah, that's a good one. How do we go <laughs> forward from that? That was a good one. Um, so. Mine is, I've seen angels fall from blinding heights, but you yourself are nothing so divine. Part of it, I think, is the delivery on the lyric. That part just always just really captures my attention. And it's right before we get to that first chorus. You guys picked really good ones. <laughs> uh, actually, the lyrics in this song are really mm -hmm. good. I love it. Yeah. I went with, if you take a life, do you know what you'll give? Odds are you won't like what it is. Mm -hmm. And just because, again, that's the first verse. If you take a life. Do you, yeah. It really just ties into what I really enjoy about this film. And sort of like examining, like, do you really want to be James mm -hmm. Bond? Like, is it really that great? Yeah, uh, really good job with the lyrics, Cornell. Man, no wonder you're a legend. Yeah. Uh, has it aged well? We asked ourselves if the movie or song has aged well. Um, Gabe, start with you. Has the song aged well? I think so. It feels like a like a classic heavy rock song that feels so connected to the movie and like enhances the movie in a way I think that a lot of movies don't. I think it it and it still feels good. It doesn't feel that dated to me. It feels like a, any other great rock song that it just sort of endures. As we've been talking about, this song is so emblematic of the movie. And for that reason, I think it has aged well. Um, but I'm not going to say like, oh, it sounds like this song came out today because, you know, popular music doesn't really sound like this. Uh, male vocalists don't, or at least pop yeah, popular male vocalists, they don't. <laughs> uh, no, but like I... Rock vocals just don't really quite sound like this. And I can really pinpoint what point in time this song came out in. So for that, maybe not. But in terms of how it carries on this movie and keeps this movie relevant, definitely. I think it has. I think it has age well because I feel like with a lot of Bond stuff, even casting everything, people just lose their shit when it comes out. Oh, my God. And then mm -hmm. with time. You're able to sort of like appreciate and all that. And I mean, it's kind of my story, so I, <laughs> I can't say no to that. Yeah, so, for sure. Underrated or overrated? Do we think the song is underrated or overrated? Gabe. This was a hard one for me. I want to say underrated because it's not like a Bond song. I mean, it's not a Bond song you hear on the radio, but there's probably only two or three Bond songs that have ever survived on the radio after the like release window mm. of the movie. And so like in that way, I think it's underrated because it's such a great song and you could probably play it with the 6,000 other Soundgarden songs that you hear all the time, but you don't. So, but then you do, but then Paula, like you said, you turn, you watch the movie and you're like, this song is awesome. So I, I'm caught somewhere in the middle, which yeah. is not an answer. 
Well, I can only, I guess, speak from my point of view, have to say underrated. I was so blind to this so for me, but so what do you think? Yeah, I think that it is underrated for sure. I was actually going online and looking at some of, you know, how there are all these ranking websites will rank the best Bond songs. And some put this really close to the top and some put this dead last. So I feel like a lot of people can't quite agree on this movie, or I'm sorry, can't agree on this song. And I think that, as we've said, it explains the movie so well. It's so tied to the feel of Casino Royale. And and it's also just like a banger of a song. So I don't know why this didn't make it into the the finalists for the Oscar nominations. I'd be curious to hear what that story was. Hall of Fame moment. Who or what had their best moment in pop culture with this song or movie? Um, it can be anything, a person, a studio, a film, a music genre, whatever you can think of. Um, Sylph, do you have anything? <laughs> um, Hall of Fame moment for inhalers. <laughs> yeah, I had that one. Yeah. Yes. Um, Lashif found a way to have an evil inhaler. Like, where the did he steal mm-hmm. something? Right? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure it was silver. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, where yeah, did silver. he get that? Is it custom? Like, did he have to like go to a jeweler and be like, I would like a, an evil holder for my inhaler, please. <laughs> That bathing suit that James Bond wears near the beginning of the movie, he gets out of the water. It's like a real throwback oh, to Dr. Yeah. No. And it's just like, oof, damn. That's the moment where you go, man, got to work oh, out tomorrow. 100%. <laughs> uh, the obvious ones, uh, I think David Arnold could be. I don't know. Oh. Dan- Daniel Craig, for sure. I think this is his his crowning achievement, right? Probably. If, yeah, it feels like the beginning of him uh, becoming a megastar. He definitely wasn't on my radar before this movie. I mean, I'm sorry to go back to the same well for joke, but isn't it Hall of Fame for James Bond's balls <laughs> or ball torture? Like, definitely ball torture. Like, I feel like if, <laughs> if anyone says ball torture in movies, I, I, I think of this and, and only this. Hey, how often does that come up in conversation <laughs> for you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you do a podcast, I guess a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Remix, which of today's current artists or band would you pick for if this song came out today? Gabe, do you have any answers for I this? I struggled with this one and then... It's a tough one sometimes. I, and yes, then this is I, I was one. listening to some music yesterday while I was working and as this came up, I was like, oh, that would be great. It's Phoebe Bridgers, I thought, would be oh. really good because yeah. she's yeah, got a little bit... She's got a little bit of the Billie Eilish vibe going on like they did in the most recent movie. But she's like, she's done these covers of like a Metallica song... And there's a couple of moments in some of her songs where she just like screams her heart out. And it's just like she can throw down with the best of them, but also has this like really sort of like ethereal voice that I think Bond movies work with really well. Trust I seek and I find in you every day for us something new. Oh, man, that's a good one. And all the guests always have such good answers for this. <laughs> Uh, Sophie, what do you got? Uh, well, m- m- I'm not as confident with mine. Technically, this band technically is still contemporary, although it is also <laughs> uh, from the same era of as Chris Cornell. I thought of Foo Fighters. Mm-hmm. I think Dave Grohl could do this. We we heard him sing a little bit earlier. You're going for straight up a version of like who can who can make this exact same song. Yeah, yeah. honestly, yeah. well because. This vocal styling isn't really popular anymore. Uh, but I did then think um, maybe the Black Keys could do something cool with this. 
I like that. Could be fun. Yeah. I didn't think about who can make this song. I think which artist would I want to make a Bond song? I had a couple, but uh, Angela Olsen came to mind. I don't know if you guys are familiar with her, but she just have a powerhouse of a voice. And she also has a very film quality to her songs. I, I think she could do a great job. Also, what, what do you guys think about this? Do you think The Weeknd is due for a James Bond song? You think that will happen? He feels too uh, light I mean, almost to me. Like almost. He has to bring a different yeah. flavor, but he's he's a big fan of movies. Apparently he loves movies and stuff. And if you're going for like big names that like we were talking about, I wouldn't be shocked if The Weeknd gets the call on future. Yeah, he's on the short list. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, last one. Uh, John Batiste, I think, could do a good Bond song. Oh, that'd be cool. mm, I like that. That's fun. Don't stop dreaming. Don't stop believing. Uh, WTF, a moment from the movie or song that made you think needed a second opinion what the f- was going on. We mentioned, I think, a lot of... Uh, <laughs> Sophie, I think yours was the Vesper death scene. Yeah, I just really... I just don't think that she had to drown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's... Uh, Gabe, do you I have did, something? I did, because I was trying to think of... I didn't want to talk about my story qualms. And my... So my WTF moment <laughs> was the, the bodies exhibit. And, it, and I was like, I know why they did this. Yeah. <laughs> I know why they did this because for some reason this was like it was like a cultural moment that everyone was so excited about. It really why they didn't even make a meal out of it in the movie. It was just like literally the the building he was in. Yeah, it looks so weird. You're right. Oh my god, I forgot about that. And also, like he just kills someone and leaves him there, like. Are people going to be walking and be like, oh, look, they, they left some skin on this one. I, I guess yeah. this is part of like the ex- this guy just like standing. I was waiting for the classic Bond quip, I, but it didn't happen. I was actually I was watching Emily in Paris <laughs> recently and they go to that like live Van Gogh art projection exhibit which i feel like is the new Mm -hmm. bodies exhibit (laughs) (laughs) well this is a quick one to be continued should we revisit this there's no other song so we can skip this question but here's a good one will the song go on will the song live on and continue to be part of pop culture gabe what do you think i say yes because i think bond is such like an enduring character and like its own genre of filmmaking that Mm -hmm. like the history of Bond songs is inseparable from making Bond movies. And I think every time a new Bond movie comes out, people are going to go back and watch the earlier ones and reconnect with these songs. And I think this one is such a standout that I don't think it's going away anytime soon. I completely agree with you. I think the same thing. The Bond songs are the biggest IP in movie soundtracks. Absolutely. And even if it's on a list of best or bad, whatever, it's just it's always going to be a blimp on the radar. Uh, Sophie, seems like you agree too. Totally. Yeah. I think that the people who put this last in the Bond songs are totally off base. It's a great song, but I think that it mostly lives on because of its connection to Bond. All right. YouTube comments. Time for time for YouTube comments. Sophie, you search the realms of YouTube comments. 
Did you find anything good for us? Yeah. All right. Let's get into it. Seriously, with music as awesome as this, why is orchestral rock not a major thing outside of Bond intros? Well, no, we actually talked about this in, in the Uninvited episode. There's yeah. a couple of orchestral rock that are complete bangers. It feels like it was yeah. like also more of a feature of like the 80s, maybe. Like it's just sort of out of mm-hmm. like it's just not fashionable anymore. We need to bring it well, back. Rock is not fashionable and our orchestra has never been fashionable. So you're <laughs> you're pushing a big envelope nowadays if a 2022 is going to be orchestra rock. But I, I don't know. You I don't yeah. know. Metallica had a moment with Stranger Things, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. The ties are turning. Yeah. Maybe the the new generation is going to find the SNM album, which we've definitely talked about on the podcast before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This one's a head scratcher. Are the lyrics to hashtag you know my name said from the perspective of God, Christ, or Satan, or a guardian angel, or fate slash fortune, or M. This person's on another level. I like the... I mean, I, I think I, it seems, <laughs> it yeah. seems like it's from Bond's point of view, but I like entertaining the idea that it's from M's point of view. I just want to like... I just like the idea of exploring that in my mind. The reason why this question really grabbed me is because it's very clearly from Bond's perspective. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and like the song isn't exactly subtle. So for them to be like, is it God, Christ or Satan? I really can't tell. Like, Did um, someone <laughs> reply to this comment with like, yeah, man. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Uh, Okay, here's another one. This track follows a proud tradition of great title scores to prepare the audience for a riveting Bond film. I saw this film almost 10 years ago, and this track still gives me chills. Definitely among the most engaging Bond tracks. So this person did not write that article that I read that put the song (laughs) dead last. (laughs) I I have a question for you both inspire uh, out of this, but do you like when a movie starts to have a main title sequence, whether it's a song or a score, you watch all the credits, like, do you you like to, like, be soaked in the movie's gonna start in, like, three minutes, or do you, like, no, scratch that, like, get me straight to it, let's go? I think as long as it's still engaging you, I like it. Um, but there are some where I'm like, yeah, 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 okay, let's get to the movie. It works so well for Bond movies because it's like you get a little bit of, it always starts with an action sequence and then you get this song and you get this weird, usually this very abstract sequence so you can be, so you can start to be like, what is this, what's going to be happening, what's going on, why are there so many naked women yeah. dancing around covered in oil, because that's inevitably <laughs> what happens, except for Casino Royale. And I think, like, I'm trying to think of other movies that do it well. I feel like the Mission Impossible movies do it pretty well, except they always tease out the whole movie for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a sucker for a good main title. Like, even something in, in sp- sticking with another action movie, like Speed. Speed is just like a shot of the elevator just going up, nothing fancy, but... I love getting some time to like soaking with like the score and the the mood like yeah put me in the mood and then starts and ah I, I'm a sucker oh catch me if you can has a good main title sequence oh, yeah. also with the mm-hmm. score and the animation I well, like I it they don't really do that anymore they don't I feel like in TV it's starting to come back but movies I think they just want to like mm-hmm. they they're so afraid of people switching channels when you're streaming it or something that they just want to keep you locked in the entire time I don't know why not take another minute with a cool song because all movies are like three hours long what's what's one they more do title have the sequence? time that's very true <laughs> yeah right <laughs> okay here is our last comment this track has balls just like bond uh paolo would you like to unpack this some asterisk more had <laughs> yeah we've talked about bond's balls enough but anyway <laughs> i think that was an appropriate ending 
Uh, I'll put that in the tags of this episode. The keywords balls. balls apparently, we we'll, we'll definitely get more hits if you mm-hmm. do that. Yeah, <laughs> hit some balls. Yeah. Gabe, thank you so much. Thank Look what you. you've done. You've had Sophie her first Bond film. You did the it's impossible. You reconnected me. <laughs> I've done justice to Casino Royale. Reconnected me with Chris Cornell and Soundgarden. Audio Slave. I'm gonna be listening to Audio Slave for like a month straight. Thank you so much for picking this song. Really, man. I had a great time. Bring me back. We'll do uh, Die Another Day. Or we'll do, yeah, yeah, we'll do Die Another Day. That's well, That was Madonna, right? So that movie yeah. that movie is a, yeah. is a real ride. <laughs> WTF, we got to leave like 10 minutes f- for that section. <laughs> uh, well, Gabe, is there anything coming up for you on the TV waves that you want to tell the people about? Uh, yeah, currently working on season eight of Chicago Med, which airs uh, this September. Pretty excited for you guys to check it out. Should be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's how you knew the word defibrillator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, I, I wanted to make comments about, yeah. you know, the medical exams for his balls, but I just, it didn't feel appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> Next, Next time. time. Next time. Thank you all for listening. Remember, we're on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, at the song will go on. Sophie, thank you so much for your work on the podcast. As always, you kill it. Thank you. Thank everyone for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next song. Peace out. The song will go on is written, researched, and produced by Sophie Matano and Paolo Grassini. Theme music is composed by William Russell. Consulting producers are JP Lee and Jonathan Fisher. Recording, editing, and mixing by Sophie Matano and Paolo Grassini. The song will go on is a Gigawatts podcast. You can find Gigawatts on YouTube and on Instagram at gigawatts underscore YouTube.